This audio is from the Axis Church and is a part of our sermon series, In the Shadows, Discovering Christ in the Old Testament. For more information about Jesus or the Axis Vision in Nashville, go to theaxischurch.org. All right. Well, good morning. I'm Jeremy, one of the pastors here at the Axis, and I'm grateful for this time with you, and thank you for making time in your weekend uh, to gather with us uh, as a church family. This is our 12th and final week um, of our time spent in the series of In the Shadows, where we've been going back into the pages of the Old Testament and, and finding shadows of Christ, shadows of the Messiah, shadows of, of what Jesus would end up ultimately doing. So today we're going to be uh, looking uh, from Numbers chapter 21. Uh, so go ahead and find that there in the Old Testament uh, towards the beginning. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers uh, chapter 21. There should be a Bible close by under the seat in front of you, uh, or you might have a handheld device. Uh, perhaps a hard copy would be better so you won't be as distracted. Uh, Instagram, man, such a lure. Uh, <laughs> Numbers chapter 21 is where we've been coming from. And, and before we jump into that, um, this is the last time uh, that I'm going to say these words, and I've, I've said these words uh, for now. This will be the 12th week in a row that this has been said from this stage. Uh, we'll say this in, the, you know, in weeks that we face on as a church, but not in this sense. So we've been focusing on Christ in the Old Testament. So I want you to hear this. I want you to know this. I want you just to, to build your life and understanding around the scriptures, around what I'm about to say. So if you've been with us for 12 weeks now, this is redundant, but you still need to hear it. If it's your first time, I want you to hear this. The Bible is written with a trajectory in mind. The Bible is written 66 books, right? 66 total books all seemingly scattered and independent, but they all work together to collectively form one grand narrative, one large storyline. And the plot is, flows like this. Creation, all things are perfect. Fall enters brokenness, separation from God, hostility with neighbor. Redemption, Jesus recreation, new heavens, new earth, paradise, okay? This is the big story, and every part of the Bible fits in some way in this storyline, every part of it. Every part of it plays a role in echoing this larger storyline. So what this means then is that in the Old Testament, we get taste and types, shadows of the one who will come and make all things good again, make sad things untrue, changing broken things to where they never were broken before. Total restoration. All, all the Bible is about a redeemer and a rescuer who's coming to make a people for God's possession. It's all about God pursuing us for his glory and our joy. This is the storyline of the Bible. So this frees us up from having to go to the Old Testament just to find heroes that we can imitate. We can admire God working in flawed men and women in the Old Testament. 
But we don't have to latch on to them and find them as heroes. But we can see them for what they have been given to us for. And that is to provide a shadow to the ultimate hero. The Christ. Jesus. The Messiah. The ultimate hero. And how he would ultimately lead in the way that those in the Old Testament were leading. He's the better and truer of all things there in the Old Testament. So today we're going to be looking at Christ, looking at Jesus, Christ and Messiah, synonymous terms of the same office, the Redeemer, the Rescuer, Jesus the Christ, through the lens of the, the brazen bronze serpent. Now, have you ever considered Jesus being a snake? <laughs> it seems kind of uh, dangerous, right? Um, but Jesus in our story today, is going to be seen as a greater snake in a wonderful way, not in the way that kind of like, ugh. All right, so let's look here in Numbers chapter 21 at this passage where we find Jesus as this greater hero. So Numbers chapter 21, I'm going to just dive in here to the text and we'll explain it as we move forward. So from Mount Or, they, this is speaking of the children of Israel, set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom and the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses in a damning way. Not like, hey, what about... No, it was, it was, they, was they were evoking judgment on Moses, evoking judgment on God. And it, it sounded something like this. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt? Now, context, this is 40 years after they left Egypt, 40 years, and it's still a prominent story. Man, you're the one who brought us out of Egypt, but 40 years of wilderness wanderings. It would, it would be old, taxing. I could easily see how they're frustrated. I can't imagine how frustrated, actually, that they are. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt? those 40 years ago, to die in the wilderness. For there is no food, there is no water, and we loathe, we detest this worthless food. There's no food, and we hate the food that we have. Speaking of the manna. So there is food, they just, they just don't like the food. So they're unable to cross the, the, the territory that belonged to Edom, they had to go around, which meant turning back again towards the Red Sea. And if you understand all their wonderings, it was a wild goose chase that they were on. Like God was using this time in the wilderness to break them of themselves, to lead them into true freedom. Because I'd said weeks ago, they were out of Egypt, but Egypt wasn't out of them yet. The wilderness was taking that away from them, giving them their new identity God's people following God. The wilderness was teaching them this, that he can lead us. Where there seems to be no way, he can lead us. So they have to turn back towards the Red Sea in the middle of their 40th year in the wilderness. So impatience gives way to open rebellion once again. And they again bring up their hatred of the manna that God had graciously provided for them. Now, don't throw them under the bus too quick. I, I get this. I mean, you, if I asked you to go out today and let's grab some Mexican food together, if you had Mexican yesterday, you'd probably be like, oh, let's go for something different. I had Mexican yesterday. 
That's yesterday. 40 years of the same food like, that your heart has to break for this, right? I mean, yes, it's honey buns dropping from heaven, right? But it's still, if you had honey buns every day, only every day for 40 years, I imagine about day 10, you would be like, okay, not year 10. You know, I've, I've gone on a couple 40-day fasts where I would drink only V8 juice for 40 days. And after about 25 days, I would just go without. I was done. Even now, it's like, ugh, every time I look at V8, I'm like, oh, no, oh, can't do it. Before, I enjoyed it. But now I have this, not disdain, but it's like, no, anything, really, anything other than V8. Um, because you just, you get weary of it. You get tired of it. That's after 25 days. 40 years. I can't imagine. Take your favorite food. Pepperoni pizza. <laughs> Gluten-free pepperoni pizza. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> Whatever your favorite food is, every day for 40 years. I'll bet the house on the fact that you won't like it after 40 years. So they begin to complain. But their complaint is more than just help us out, hook us up with some different food. They're damning Moses. They're damning God out of disdain to the point where they don't even see it as food anymore. We don't have any food. And the food that we do have, we hate it. You're just going to kill us out here? So verse 6 the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that the people of Israel died. God's chosen people, part of them, died. Now, these fiery snakes may have been a, a, a kind of adder that's known to be in the region of the sandy waste of Sinai. It's a very poisonous snake, and it would burn like fire, like a hot iron in your veins flowing all through your body. Okay? It would be torturous, no relief, always leading to death. And the people came to Moses in verse 7 and said, We have sinned, and here's how we've sinned. We have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord, Moses, that he may take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. God, make this stop. God delivers healing. And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. The remedy, the medicine, was to look at this bronze snake held up on a pole. That's it. The awful bite of God's judgment could be cured if they would, by faith, look up at the bronze serpent lifted up on the pole. The fire in the veins, the burning of the skin, the infectious wound, all miraculously healed with a simple look at the serpent lifted up on the pole. Now, this is a simple, true story from the Old Testament. But as simple as it may be, it is still a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ. 
Flip over to the New Testament, to the Gospel of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Find John chapter 3. John chapter 3 is where we meet a man named Nicodemus, a very religious man. He's come to Jesus to ask him some questions. Nicodemus is asking, how? How can someone be born again? How can someone have eternal life? That's the context. And to answer this, Jesus uses a shadow of the Messiah in the Old Testament to help Nicodemus understand. Follow along with me in verse 14 of John chapter 3. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man, speaking of himself, so must I be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. They looked at the serpent on the pole and were granted life when they were facing death. When I'm lifted up, they will experience life eternal through my work on the cross. So Jesus also, he also uses the phrase lifted up in John chapter 12, verse 32. He says, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. Four times total, Jesus uses lifted up, speaking of the cross in the book of John. All four times is Jesus pointing out him going up on the cross, being hoisted up, lifted up on the cross. Now, do you remember, or maybe you've read this, heard this in sermons, where Jesus would perform an, a miraculous act and tell them, don't say anything, don't do anything. I mean, people have seen that happen before. Raise your hand if you've read that or heard that in a sermon, like, don't tell anybody, right? It's always a little perplexing to me. Now, Jesus oftentimes would follow it up by saying, for my time has not yet come. It's not my time yet. Keep it on the DL, it's not my time yet. Lord, when will you redeem Israel? When will you give us our land? When will you make all things right in Jerusalem? My time has not yet come. Is it now, Lord? My time has not yet come, right? Well, before this week, of, of studying this text, I imagine Jesus saying, my time has not yet come. I imagine him saying it with resolve, with power, with poise, with a, a, um, a discernible providence at work. And while all those are perhaps true, studying this passage added a different perspective. I now hear Jesus saying, my time has not yet come, saying it with a deep desire to speed up the cross, to hurry up the process of the cross. And here's what I mean, and here's how this ties in. In the Gospels, we're told of Jesus healing paralyzed people, dead people, bleeding people, like the lady who had the issue of blood, doubtful people, lack of faith, blind people, sick people, rebellious people, lepers, demon-possessed people, tormented people, all of them broken people. And I imagine Jesus dealing with each one of those thinking, man, I cannot wait to get to the cross. 
The cross will take care of all of this and more. If I, if I can just make it to the cross, once I'm lifted up, all of this sinful brokenness will be no more. As Jesus is healing the lame man or, or making spit, spittle, mud, and caking the eyes of the, the blind man, he's, he's thinking one day, one day all of this will be taken care of. Bring on the cross. And I imagine that when he was lifted up on the cross, Jesus was thinking, yes, yes, finally. Yes, it's finished. This is what we've been waiting on. We finally made it. This is it. It's like in sports when the star athlete is just saying, just give me the ball. Just give me the ball. Jesus is saying, just, just lift me up. Just, just lift me up. And we got this. It's like in a good book. It's like finding the secret key that unlocks a magical door. And the key is found. It's inserted. It's turned. Paradise is no longer lost. Eternal bliss is now able to be experienced. Jesus lifted up on this cross. The cross dropping into the hole made for the cross is the key being turned and the door being opened into paradise. Jesus being lifted up on the cross. The cross dropping into the hole is the athlete getting the ball for the game-winning championship shot. Just get me to the cross. Lift me up. All of this will be taken care of. Bring on the cross. This is what I imagine Jesus thinking. My time has not yet come, but boy, it's going to be wonderful when it's there. As he heals this one blind man thinking, man, one day all blind will see. Just get me to that cross. Healing this one saying, man, one day I'm going to heal even Jeremy. I'm going to heal even Cody. I'm going to heal Randy. I'm going to heal Miles. Just, just get me there and it'll be healing for all who believe in me. Just get me lifted up. Get me there. Again, John 12, 32, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. Now, John provides commentary on Jesus' words in John 3. John chapter 3 and verse 14, I'll, I'll read this again. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life, be healed forever. So in context, John 3.16 flows in context with the snake wound that killed people in the Old Testament. And you might, if you have a red letter edition, odds are John 3.16 is in red, but most scholars believe that this is John speaking, adding commentary to the words of Jesus that concluded in verse 15. So here's what John is saying about Jesus being the greater snake lifted up, healing those who would look at him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would look at him, whoever would believe in him should not die like those in the Old Testament of the snake bite, but those who would look at the serpent and be healed, they will have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, to inflict a greater bite, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. 
So God didn't send the bronze snake on the pole to further condemn and judge the Israelites. He told Moses to lift the object to save the people, to heal them. God didn't send Jesus to further condemn you or finger point at you or judge you. God sent Jesus to save you, to be condemned for you, to take on the consequences of the bite himself so that you can be healed. 2 Corinthians 5.21 speaks of this. For our sake, he made him to be sin. God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, healed forever, made perfect once again. So just as the Israelites were physically healed when they looked at the raised serpent, so it will be spiritually for those who look in faith at Jesus. Now the source of our salvation is not in the power of our faith, or in the intensity of our stare, or whether we blink or not, the source of our salvation is in the God in whom your faith is placed, the one that you're looking at. Jesus is saying here that the Spirit of God can't just brush away sin in order to give new birth and new life. The sin has to be dealt with. Justice must be satisfied. Jesus must be lifted up to satisfy God's wrath on behalf of sinners who believe him, who look at him for life. So the Israelites were punished for their sins that they committed. The snakes were sent in judgment for that sin. Well, we too must be punished for our sins that we've committed. Eternal separation from God is our judgment. God punished the Israelites by sending them these snakes. Yet if they would look at the bronze serpent lifted up on this pole, they would be healed. God sent Jesus to be punished for our sins. And much like the bronze serpent, if we lift him, if, as he's lifted up, Jesus lifted up on a different pole, on a cross. If we would allow our hearts to look at him, by faith look at him, we too can be healed. God didn't make it difficult for them. If they would just look, just look. God doesn't make it difficult for you today. If you would but look. Allow your heart to look to him, to believe. You don't have to make it harder than what it is. There's no list that you have to fill, like you have to fulfill. There's no check boxes you have to work on. Jesus took care. Oh, just, just look. And looking is believing. It's like when uh, Jesus in John 6 was asked by the religious leaders, what must we do to be doing the work of God? He said, essentially, just, just look at me for who I am. He says, just, just believe. Believing is doing the work of God. Believe me. Look at me. Look, look at what I'm doing. See what I'm doing. See what I'm doing. But there's a dilemma for us. There's a dilemma for non-Christians, and there's a dilemma for Christians. The dilemma for non-Christians is that most unbelievers, non-Christians, are aware of their vital need to be healed, restored, and helped, but not ultimately. It's just kind of, a, they just need to be made better. So the, the first 
step in fixing a problem is realizing that there is one? Well, their view, the unbeliever, the unchristian, the non-Christian, is that they are aware of a need to be made better, but they don't realize that they need to be made new, altogether different, completely changed. Such change that Jesus even uses that metaphor of being born all over again. Now, that's significant change. We can't bring that change about ourselves. So for those who are non-Christians here in the room who do not believe Jesus, who's hoping for a better way, a different way, hear me, you're not ever going to be good enough on your own to fix the heart problem that needs to be addressed. Ever. No amount of being good was going to help those who were bitten by the snake. No, no amount of antibiotic, of ointment, of anything. The only answer was to look at something God provided. So friends, the same is true for you. Your only hope is found in the one that God sent to help you, and that is Jesus. You can never be good enough, ever. You can never stay away from enough bad things to be good enough. And you have to be made perfect, and you can't make yourself perfect because you've already screwed up. We all have. Jesus came to fix that. Look at him for what he's doing. See him for what he's doing. And be saved. Now, the dilemma for the, for the Christians is that we're not unaware of our need to be healed and restored and helped by God. Our dilemma, if you're with me in this, my, I'll speak for myself. My dilemma is that I'm so easily influenced and lured away by other gospels that are false, yet they promise that they can heal, restore, and help me. I mean, the gospel is right here. Look up and be healed. Look up and live. But thinner, wealthier, newer, they all tell me the same thing. Look here and be healed. Look here and be satisfied. And I take the bait. Is that, if you're Christian, does that resonate? Like how quickly we're just, oh, wow, look, shiny, new, bigger, better, thinner, faster. So we need God's help. God, help me to look only to you. To not be tricked by these other damning gospels that try to get my attention. Pray like the blind man, Lord, open my eyes that I might see. And only see you. Fix my gaze. Focus. Give me focus. Because there's so many distractions. Give me discernment because there's so many voices. And they seem to all be saying the same thing. But I know only you can make good on your promise. So help me. Help me understand you. And help me see the enemy for who he is. I don't want to take the bait anymore. It's exhausting. Waste so much time, emotion, and energy. Help me in my pursuit of you. Only you. So the, the dilemma for the Christian and the non-Christian, it's the same. We need faith. We need faith. 
whether you're a Christian or non-Christian, that the prayer and the heart behind the prayer is the same. God, grant me the faith to believe you, to trust you, to look upon you. Open my eyes. Let me clearly see you. You see, both the Israelites and us today, we have to look beyond ourselves, beyond our false saviors, beyond the false gospels, beyond the self-righteousness, and we have to look up. We have to look to Jesus, and by faith, we are healed, we are restored, and we are helped. Christian, non-Christian alike, we must look to Jesus by faith. God, grant me the faith to believe you, to trust you, to look at you. Help me. And then, oh, the relief of being healed from the fiery serpents. The veins begin to cool. The wound no longer found. Imagine being the first guy. Imagine being the first guy that's not gone the way of everyone else who's been bitten. Instead of screaming, his screaming comes to a a whimper. His whimper goes to a very confused look. His confused look goes to kind of a smirk and a, a smile breaks forth. Then he says it's no longer hurting. You've never seen that happen before. Healing begins to take place. And then you want in on that. This is the mission of the church. It's no longer burns. Jesus has taken away this burning that I used to have. And now there's comfort, there's joy, there's hope, there's peace. He can help you too the mission of the church. So to those who look upon Jesus, the the chronic anxiety, the debilitating fear, the utter hopelessness that's present is slowly. True change usually happens slowly. The Holy Spirit at work in our sanctification, the anxiety, the hopelessness, the fear is slowly replaced with comfort, peace, and promise. The damned soul is no longer damned. Death is no longer feared. Dead hearts of stone are replaced with living hearts of flesh that's learning now to learn what it's like to have purpose, to have peace, and to have love. Begin to feel for things that you never felt before. The cross of Jesus and the healing he brings It gives us the strength and the boldness to confront our sin, to confront our insecurities, to no no longer run from our fear, but face that fear and shame with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, in closing, I find this very interesting. I find it interesting that Moses didn't hold up snake repellent. I, I, I find it weird that, that he didn't hold up uh, antibiotics. I mean, you saw in the Old Testament, hit a, take this stick, hit a rock, bam, water. Hold this out, walk out in the water, boom, Red Sea parts. Pray and ask, honey buns from heaven, right? Why not send a large predator to eat the snakes? Why not send antibiotics? I find it interesting that the answer to the snake bite was a snake. To me, it's ironic. It's strange. God made the Israelites look at what it was that was killing them in order for them to be saved by that very thing. Hang with me. To look up at a snake 
to be healed by snake seems foolish. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But for those who see, for those who are looking at Jesus, for those who are being saved, it is the power of God. God made us look at death, the death of Jesus, the cross, so significant to our faith. God makes us look at death in order for us to be freed from death. He makes us look at the cross and see Jesus bearing the weight of our sin in order for us to be freed from sin. Jesus became sin for us. He bore our shame. On the cross, Jesus was made the dirtiest sinner of all time, the grossest sinner ever, so that we could look at him by faith and be forgiven of all our sin. It's the same sort of irony. You see, our problem is our sinful hearts, and our sin is so much worse than any snake bite imaginable. And we can do nothing to remedy our broken and damned condition. We are hopeless on our own. You want to be free? Look at Jesus. Want to be freed from sin? Look at Jesus bearing your sin. Want to be freed from death? Look at Jesus dying your death in your place. He became a curse for us in order to free us from the curse. The apostle Paul, someone who was radically changed by Jesus, said this in Galatians 3 verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. It's looking at Christ on the cross, dying, suffering, cursed. It's how we're healed from the curse. If you would just look at him, you're free from sin, free from judgment, healed, made righteous. Just look. Dead theologian, incredible man, A.W. Pink, he wrote this in his exposition of the Gospel of John. Man became a lost sinner by a look. For the first thing recorded of Eve in connection with the fall of our first parents is that the woman saw that the tree was good for food. In a like manner, the lost sinner is saved by look. The Christian life begins by looking. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth for I am God and there is none else. The Christian life continues by looking. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. At the end of the Christian life, we're still to be looking for Christ. For our citizenship is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. From first to last, the one thing required is looking at God's Son. Looking is believing. Whoever believes in Jesus Christ will not die, but live forever. So the question is, have you looked at Jesus crucified, risen, and exalted to save you from the curse of your sin? Are you staring at Jesus? Stop being distracted. Pray for focus and look at Jesus. Run to Jesus. Believe Jesus. This morning we have 
a precious opportunity to individually and collectively look at Jesus, remembering his saving work for us on our behalf. And we're going to do this through communion. This is a time where we get to remember and celebrate what God has done for us. The perfect body of Christ given as your substitute. The blood of Christ shed for you to forgive you of your sin as he suffers there as your substitute. The bread representing his body. The wine and the juice representing his blood that he gave for your salvation. So today, we who are Christians, we get to take this bread and dip it into the wine or the juice, and we remember what Christ has accomplished for us, remembering how God has saved us from the bite of sin, remembering that he saved us from the sting of death. So I ask that you take this time to come and share communion with us, those who are Christians, who are believers in Jesus Christ. I ask that you take this time to Respond through journaling, drawing, talking with your friends near you, beside you, someone that you trust. Process these things. Dwell, dwell. Meditate. Pray through these things. Find something that you want to process later with a friend. Write it down. Work through these things. Dwelling on these things is how you become a Christian. Dwelling on these things is what produces greater health in the life of the Christians. Don't just move on. Remain. Dwell. Think during this time of response. And when you're ready, come and our servers would love to serve you communion. And if you would like special prayer, we have some, uh, the prayer team that's going to be over in this corner, back over here, who would love to pray with you. They would love to encourage you through that. So let me pray for us now. You can come take communion when you're ready. Jesus, thank you for this good news. Thank you for providing a remedy for our death, our separation from you, our hopelessness, our sin. Lord, the disease that just destroys us now and forever. Thank you for willingly coming to suffer in our place, to take the bite of sin and death yourself so that we could live. Thank you for that. Lord, give us focus. Help us not be so easily distracted. Lord, taking the lure of other false gods that they're silly in how they can't save. It's ridiculous. And yet we do it so often. God, help us. Help us be stronger. Help us be more focused. Help us discern and see more clearly the way of the enemy. Lord, help us fight that drifting towards those false gods and false saviors. Lord, uh, for those who aren't Christians in the room, Lord, would you make them Christians? Would you give them faith? Would you give them belief? Would you give them the ability to open their eyes, open the eyes of their heart to be able to clearly see you for who you are? <laughs> and would they run to you and, and see what they've been missing. Experience the forgiveness of their sin and the closeness, Lord, the comforter that you send them in the spirit, Lord, who's with them to where they're alone, but never alone, ever alone because of your presence with them. Let them experience that. Help them, Lord, just, just destroy that unbelief, destroy that apathy 
destroy the skepticism, destroy all that's there that's doubting you, and would you give their heart answers? Would you give them life? Would you give them vision? Would you give them faith in the name of Jesus Christ? Save them. God, help the Christians in the room leave telling others of your saving work on their behalf that the infectious bite can be healed. Just look at Jesus. God, create missionaries here to Nashville, people who can't shut up about the healing they've experienced from you. God, help us be bold, bold men and women who speak of the the one raised up on the pole who brings healing and life. God, thank you that you weren't just lifted up on the cross. Lord, thank you that you were lifted up from death and that you give us life forever. God, allow these truths to resonate deeply within the heart of the Christian to bring them to a greater knowledge of you, a greater health as a Christian, faster feet as missionaries, clearer words as your spokesmen, your ambassadors, hands that are more quick to respond to need with empathy, sympathy, and compassion. Allow this theology to move from our heads to our hearts to where we begin to proclaim the good news that there's healing found in you. Fix our gaze upon you. Give us focus as a church, focus as individuals, focus as families. God, help us. Thank you for what you're going to do. Thank you for what you have done. Thank you for what you are doing right now. In your name I pray, and thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church family, you can come when you're ready.